You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Happy New Year! Good to see your smiling faces. Anybody in here excited about 2018? Yeah. yeah, that's good. Good, a good response on that. Is anybody in here also excited that 2017 is gone? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, there's good things in it. We got to celebrate the good. We don't want to throw it all out, but there's there's good things. But at the same time, I don't know. I'm kind of one of these people that's constantly going. You know, what's next? What are we going to do next? And sometimes that can be a, a deficit. But I think uh, overall, it's just God designing me that helps me to have faith for what God is doing in the future. And I'm really, really looking forward to 2018. Here's why. I'm speaking to you prophetically now. God is shifting this church. He's moving us in a very healthy way. He's moving us from being kind of a church plant to a more focused church movement. And part of it is what we're doing with aligning uh, with uh, Bethel, um, And the Coomers who are coming with us that you just heard the announcement about, I really can't stress enough how important it is for you to be here. It's going to impart a lot of stuff to you. Maybe things you might not even be able to connect with um, at first, but it's a part of a DNA that is being deposited into us. And I'm super, super excited about it. I am. I just want to say, Courtney, thank you again. I know Jay already did, but she's put a lot of work into this. And it's going to be a really fantastic thing for us. So what I'm saying to you now is this, that as we're heading into 2018, just to open up and say, Holy Spirit, I'll take whatever you got, because you're good, because you're good. Can we do that together? Amen. Because we're not looking for perfection necessarily, we're looking for the perfect one. And what I mean by that is we're not trying to build systems and structures so that people can fit into that. We're, d- we're building what God has, is revealing to us. And as we build that, we know that we're making a place and a way for people to function better in, in more appropriate ways. So does that sound good to you guys? All right, amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning and open them up to 1 John chapter 2, and I just want you to put your finger in there. 1 John chapter 2, and just put your finger in there for a moment. I really felt like having the first Sunday of the year, um, it's real easy to talk about the the conquest we're going to do with the kingdom, all the new things, all these New Year's resolutions. It's real easy to do that, but I really felt like this week, listening to Holy Spirit, that he was calling me personally, and I think us, back to this one thing, that there's really one thing to keep in mind, and it's the supreme command of Jesus to love one another. It's the supreme command of Jesus. He says that the greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and he says that all the law and the prophets are summed up in this one thing. So what I want to do this morning is talk about that a little bit. What does it really mean to love? What does it look like? I can't stand here and say I've got the answer to it, but what we can do is go back to the Word and say, Holy Spirit, show me a little bit more about what this looks like. Because I think if we're all honest, we want to love. We know how to love at some level, but we can all get better at how we love. Amen? Amen. What does the gospel really mean? When I say the word gospel, what does that mean? Good news, good. I got, is that what you guys have heard? That's, that's really literally what the word translates into, good news. That's the gospel. I'm going to start with that in saying that this is how we communicate love. This is how we communicate God to people who have not yet encountered him. And I'm using the word yet underlined, right? Good news. I think oftentimes we mix good news with the good news of the gospel. We mix it with our own understanding of the gospel. 
And I think that's okay. I mean, it's not like we're intentionally trying to mislead people or do anything, but how many in here would say, my understanding of the gospel is not complete? Right? I love this about God. He's so good to us that even though our understanding and even our misunderstanding of the good news of the gospel, when we communicate it, he's so good and he's so kind that he can make it go into somebody's ears in such a way that it connects with them. Isn't that wonderful? I know as a pastor, I have that happen all the time. I can, I can stand up here and speak and somebody will come up to me afterwards and say, you know that thing you said about this? And they'll tell me what they heard. And I'm like, wow, I don't remember saying that. But I love that's the way you heard that. I love that's how Holy Spirit put that into you and how it spoke to your heart. Is this making sense? You get what I'm saying? I think sometimes, though, in our own humanity, we miss things when we go to communicate the gospel. I think more importantly, sometimes we can miss things on how we understand ourselves and how we perceive God. How many in here would say, yeah, I think there's probably a chance that my understanding of God isn't exactly who he is? I think we all have that at, at some point. Uh, a while back, we were in one of our OSSM classes, and we were listening to a teaching by Danny Silk. I think it came from Arthur Burke, Father Ladder? Yeah. And he was talking about how we perceive God. And he asked us to pause just for a minute, minute there, just to close our eyes, and just to meditate on how we perceive God. Now, we don't have time to do that this morning, but I can just tell by looking at your faces that some of you already have that picture, that thought running through your head. How do I perceive God? Now, I perceived him sitting on a throne, being very majestic, very regal, royal, perfect. And I saw myself in that thought meditation that I was having, I saw myself coming into the throne room and seeing him. And I saw myself running ap up to him and just jumping in his lap. And it was totally welcoming. I mean, he said, yes, there you are. Awesome. I love you. But as I was doing that, I heard the father speak to me. He said, you know, you know you can come to me and you can run to me and jump in my lap and receive me, but I don't know that you fully see that I will run to you. I will get it from where I am and run to you. Now, this is just for me. I'm sharing with you a personal story of mine because oftentimes it's not that I restrict God because I don't see him completely or that I keep him from doing something. It just means that I need to continue to grow in my perception of him. I need to grow in my understanding of what love really looks like because love is so sacrificial and so giving. And sometimes I think about God in certain ways that are based on my own understanding of how I give and receive love. Is this making sense this morning? So I just wanted to show something this morning. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but when we have thoughts of who Jesus is and who God is and what love really looks like, sometimes we just have little misunderstandings. So I found a book recently by Paul Ellis. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's entitled, Stuff That Jesus Never Said. It's stuff that Jesus never said, but somehow we still think, at some level, we still think like this. Now, we're all going to laugh when we see these pictures, but what I'm doing is trying to wake us up to thinking for a moment, how is it that I perceive God? Do I really see him that way? Now, we're going to laugh at this stuff, but I want you to think about it, too. Do I really see God that way? Let's start with the first slide. God loves you, but he's also mad at you. Next one. He loves you, he loves you not. <laughs> As if he's picking and choosing. Here's the next one. When you sin, God gets angry. 
Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. I wash some of your sins away. God forgives in installments. Now, pause right there for a moment. God forgives in installments. I mean, I just want you to meditate on that for a minute. How many times do we think like that? Like God forgives in installments. Like, he'll only go so far, and then he's like, okay, I'm calling you right there. Your tab. I'm making you pay up on your tab right now. Because that's about as far as I can go on forgiveness right now. Next one. Go and sin no more or else. Sinner, God can't hear you. Paul's right there. I mean, think about this for a moment. I grew up thinking that when I sinned, that God ran away from me or that he wouldn't listen to me. When the reality is, when I sin, I think it's a good thing that he sees when we recognize that we sinned. He's not scared of it. God has never been scared of sin. And that's the, that's the perfect time for him to hear you. Is when we come to him and say, okay, I, I botched it up right here. Come on, is this making sense this morning? I know we're kind of tongue-in-cheek with this, but you hear what I'm saying. Next one. You're not trying hard enough. <laughs> These are things we put on ourselves. These are things that we say, oh, I'm not trying hard enough. I don't know about you, but I still have a tendency to go into that I'm not trying hard enough stuff. But really, that's the total antithesis of the gospel itself. The gospel is good news. The gospel is the story of what Jesus did, what we couldn't do. And the minute I step into, I'm trying to do it, and I'm trying to be better, I'm trying to, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, you, your act wasn't good enough. I need to complete it. Next one. If you're not careful, I'll blot out your name. And there he is, right there, blotting it out. I think it's interesting. We think things like that because that's in the word, right? We have the names blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't know that we really understand that the name was in there in the first place. I'm not trying to perform to get my name into the book. My name's in there. And my belief is not on my ability to complete or maintain my Christianity. It's totally on Jesus. I'm partakers of his righteousness. Next one. Nothing can separate you from the love of God except sin and skipping church and not tithing. <laughs> right? Next one. God forgives but never forgets. I think it's, it pause right there, because I think this, is, this one's an interesting one to me. That God forgives, but he never forgets. When the word tells me that he takes them and removes them as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. I wonder how many times we come to God talking about our failures and stuff, and he's going, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we don't have the, I don't have the ability to forget like that. I don't know about you, I can't forget. Like, sometimes, though, we bring it back to God, and he's like, I would love to help you, child, but I don't know what you're talking about right now. What I see is an absolutely perfect, perfect child. And it's because of what Jesus did. Don't get me wrong. It's not by what we did. Titus 3.5 tells me that. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Next one. You owe me. <laughs> No, I'm, what am I doing here? I'm just saying, let's just think for a minute. Are these men types, maybe it doesn't look like that, but are these types of mental pictures we carry around in our head? I've even seen t-shirts that say, he died for me, I'll live for him. Well, good luck with that. I mean, really, how are you going to do that? I understand the heart behind it. My, the heart behind it is, you know, I want to give my life completely to Jesus. That's right, that's exactly right. 
But it's not a, he did this, now I need to pay him back. There, it's impossible to pay him back. If you really want to have that mindset of I need to pay him back, then just settle this one issue right here. He did it. His life now lives inside of me, and it flows out of me, and I'm the only one that can restrict that. I want my life to be so surrendered, yielded to him, that it begins to flow out of me, but I can't pay him back. Amen. What he wants is not payback. What he wants is for everybody like us who have heard the good news to be able to share it with other people around us. Next one. When you do wrong, I can't be, with, be in fellowship with you. That's kind of sad. Next one. You disappoint me. I think it was Graham Cook who said something like this one time. I may get it wrong, but I, I think he said something like this. God will never be disillusioned with you because he, had never, he never had any illusions in the first place. Shall I say that again? God will never become disillusioned with you because he never had illusions in the first place. He sees you accurately and fully and completely. Next one. Oh, that's a good one. Receive some guilt. <laughs> As if guilt is a good motivator. <laughs> I know that's funny. I think that's the last one, isn't it? You hear what I'm saying with that? I, how many in here, if we're being honest, you don't need to show me your hands, but how many in here would think my mental picture of God sometimes goes down that road? I see Jesus that way. I think that I'm not doing good enough, or I'm not. When really, it's, it's love himself. And I don't, know how, I don't know how to fully communicate it because I haven't fully grasped it myself. But I do know at some level what it means to have a revelation of Jesus Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that takes all that kind of thinking and it says, that's a lie. That's, I don't need my mental energy. I don't need my, I don't need to give worry to those kinds of things because I know what it means to have Christ in me, the hope of glory. I don't always get it right, but I understand it at some level to know that some of these things are just, I'm making them up in my head. My misunderstandings of God or keeping me from a fuller encounter of who he is. My misunderstandings of God do not keep God from engaging with me. Does that make sense? So, what do we do with sin? How do we deal with it? That's a big challenge. We think that sometimes when we sin, that God separates from us. We saw that slide. God moves away from us. When it's not true, 2 Corinthians 5 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And it says of Jesus in that same passage, he who knew no sin became sin. In other words, God doesn't run from sin. He runs right into it. And when those two meet, their absolute sin is absolutely eradicated. If I say to you this morning, if you've been here long enough, you might know the answer to this. If I say to you this morning, you have no sin nature left in you. It's kind of hard to swallow, but it's true. I'm not making it up. Romans 6 says it. But I still sin. Okay, let's think about this for a moment. Let's get our head around this. I don't have a sin nature, but then I still sin. I've even had people ask me the question, well, Andrew, if I don't have a sin nature, why am I still sinning? And I'm like, good question. <laughs> ask yourself that question. If I don't have a sin nature, why am I still sinning? Possibly because I still believe that I have a sin nature. Because we believe according, or we behave according to what we believe. Sin carries with it its own consequences. Are you with me this morning? 
it carries with it its own consequences. It doesn't scare God. It doesn't make him run away. Some parts of the body we're still using, sometimes we do it ourselves, fear, control, punishment as methods to deal with sin, but it never does work. Fear will always make your awareness of sin larger than your awareness of life. Are you with me this morning? Fear will always make your awareness of sin larger than your awareness of life. Fear is not your friend. Hello? The church needs to come back to the gospel. We need to come back to the gospel. What does it look like to learn and live from a place? It's good news. It's what Jesus has done and how we relate to each other. What I want to talk about is what love looks like and how we relate to each other. And and again, I'm not speaking from a place I've got this. I just know it's present inside of me. I would love to see a group of people relate to each other, not from fear motivation, not from control motivation, but from love motivation. But how many of you know that when you love someone and you really reveal love to them, it's the most sacrificial thing you can ever do? Even painful at times. Subjecting yourself to stuff. When people might hurt you. I like the way Jesus relates to us. It's no fear and all love. It's no fear, it's all love. And Jesus came to create not a list of rules and regulations for us to live by. He came to create a connection, a relationship for us. Look at that passage, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. I had you turn there. Let me give a little context for this. Here's John writing later in his life. This is the Apostle John, disciple, Apostle John, writing later in his life. And remember it says of John, he wrote of himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Remember, he was the one that was closely connected to Jesus, probably more than any of the other disciples. Not probably, he was. Connected to Jesus more than any of the other disciples. And later on in his life, he writes this, and he says, you are my dear children. He's writing to those that he's been a father to. He says, you are my dear children, and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, everybody say that with me. But if anyone does sin, come on, that's the gospel right there. I'm not, I'm not making this up. Well, I'm going to sin. Well, the word says if you sin. It doesn't say when you sin. Hello? <coughs> if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving redeemer who is face to face with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Come on, isn't that great? I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. Um, you're not forgiven because you asked for it. You're forgiven because he said you're forgiven and he forgave you. That's how the world gets in on this. That's the good news. The good news is not if you do such and such, God forgives you. The good news is Jesus has forgiven you. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? Doesn't it feel good just to think about that? In other words, the sin problem has been solved. So why do we spend so much time focusing on getting ourselves cleaned up? Thank you for that, Andy. I'll take that. Can I get another one? Why do we spend so much time trying to clean ourselves up? Now, I know what can be running around the room right now in our minds. Andrew, are you saying it's okay to sin? Of course not. Romans 6 says that too. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. 
No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's just a shift. If we see how God loves us, we will see ourselves different and we will be able to love people better. I think too many people in the church have been hurt by it. I'm sure all of us have stories of being in the church and the church hurting us at some level. We do something wrong. We do something that doesn't fit into a certain standard and we get hurt. Here's the challenge I find in all of that. I heard somebody say this years ago. And, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I were, I'm sure there's people in here who, who would say, yeah, I got hurt by someone in the church. I got hurt by church leadership. I got hurt pretty bad. Here's the reality of it. The church that hurt you, it's the same church that heals you. You can't get away from us. It's the, it may not be the same group, but we're all part of the same family. We are the bride of Christ. So the answer is not to run away from it. The answer is to come back to the one supreme value, the supreme command of Jesus. What does it look like to really love? What does it look like to really love? I would like to see a culture where people, have, where people don't have to appear sinless. Hello? I mean, if we're being honest, how many of us think like that? Man, I don't want to... I don't want to look like I've got sin in my life because then nobody will accept me. The church won't accept me. It's a culture we've built because we've built it on performance. We've built it on law, on control, instead of building it on love. The problem with that is it sets a culture where people have to appear sinless. Then it causes people to live in secret sin because they can't be vulnerable and be honest. What would it look like to be a people who lived from the supreme law of love where they can say, yeah, that's going on in your life. We can call it sin. I'm not saying don't call things sin. I'm saying we can call it sin. Call it what it is. Call it what it is. That way we can look at it and say, let's come higher. Let's come higher. Let's come out of that junk right there. Let's come, into some, let's come out of what is life sucking into something that's life giving. Hello? Because how many would know that too? That sin, that's simply what it is. It's trying to get a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. And instead of looking at it and focusing so much on the sin, how about we look at what the heart's desire is and where it's not being met and saying, hey, here's where that thing is found. Here's where it's found. It's not found in that. It's found over here. Let's call you up, call you out into something better. How many want life? That's what I want life. I know, that the, I, I, know I say this and I repeat this an awful lot, but I think it's, it's healthy and it's good to say this. Christianity is not about right and wrong. It's about life and death. When Moses brought everybody out, showed them, you know, you have Joshua, everybody coming into the promised land, he says, see, I lay before you life and death. Not right and wrong. I lay before you life and death. I want life. I know personally I've experienced it in my own life that when you find the difference between right and wrong, or when you, when you live by what is right and wrong instead of life and death, it becomes a performance Christianity. There's no love in that. I want to live in love, where it's life, love and life that go together. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, amen? Sin doesn't separate us from God. From God, The cross separated us from sin. Come on, is that good news? Sin doesn't separate us from God. The cross separates us from sin. I am so, somebody say thank you, Jesus, for that. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. This is my commandment that you love one another. Let that sink in. Close your eyes for a moment. Hear the words of Jesus. He's saying to him, this is my commandment. 
that you love one another. In other words, it's not a suggestion or an option. Love is not something we do if the other person performs well. Love is not something we give to people only if they can operate in spiritual gifts. Hello? Did you know that operating in the spiritual gifts requires no maturity? Come on, let's just demystify that right there. I'm not a good enough disciple to prophesy. I'm not a good enough disciple to bring a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. I'm not a good enough, I'm not, I don't go to church enough, I don't read my Bible enough, I don't know. Isn't that funny? When, when you really stop and look at that for what it is, you're putting all the value on yourself. I, 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 it's not about us, it's about him. Did you know there is no spiritual maturity in the gifts? They're free. Hello. I'm hoping this is demystifying something right here because there's no requirement for spiritual maturity to operate in the gifts because they are given for free. And if there's anything you have to do in order to get those things, they're no longer free. But there is something important about spiritual maturity and that will cost us. It will cost us. Here's what it costs us. It's not performance. It costs us what goes on in here. Hello? It costs us the self-life. It costs me, what do I need to do? It costs me all these broken thought patterns, these inconsistent, broken, humanistic thought patterns that run through our mind that say, in order for God to love me, I need to do certain things. If in order for people to love me, I need to do certain things. I, don't, I really don't know how to communicate this. I, I, I feel like it's, it's something about stopping for a moment, not letting the mind get away from you and just saying, Lord, I need to tangibly feel your love. And when you feel that, all of a sudden, all that other stuff disappears, and the very thing that you were desiring to operate in, especially when it comes to spiritual gifts, they start to flow. Let me see if I can put this into something practical. With the school, we encourage students. Um, no, we kind of um, throw them into the deep end of the pool when it comes to prophesying and getting words. But when I get a word for somebody and I know I want to get a word for somebody, you know how I do it? I don't sit there and go, God, give me a word, give me a word. I'm not going after the word, I'm going after him. What I do is I come back to a place of remembering who I am with him, who he is with me, and then the word starts to come. You know why? Because then I'm not doing anything to earn it. Is this making sense? When it comes to healing, I don't feel like I have to muster something up in order to see somebody get healed. Uh, what I have to do is I have to realign myself. This is the self-life that I'm talking about. The self-life is this thing of what religion wants to put into us, which says you need to perform in order to do something. You can't do it. It never did work. If it did work, Jesus' sacrifice was for nothing. It's coming back to this place of going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. You have made everything available to me. And you love people so much that you'll let the miraculous commodities of heaven come flowing through me simply because you're that good to me and you're that good to people. Does this make sense? Yeah. I'm just giving you a little practical example of what it looks like for me. This is, this is how I want to communicate love. The minute I think I need to step in between God and humanity to communicate love, I'm going to mess it up. When I realize how much he's loved me 
and I meditate and position myself in that, I am better at giving love to people around me. Come on, is this helpful this morning? It's foolishness to think that we can be a spiritual people without relationships. It's foolish. Thank you. It's foolish to think that we can be a spiritual people without relationships. When I talk about spiritual maturity costing us something, this is where it costs. I, I, yeah. My story, my personal history, my story of life is not the same as your story, but it's the same story. We've all been hurt. We've all been broken. We've all been damaged. We've all had things go wrong. My story is different than your story, but it's the exact same story. You hear what I'm saying in this? And to think that I can live, that we can live out of hurt and pain towards a place of wholeness and fullness would be foolish. So what we do is we live, it's like this. Let me use Jay for an example for a moment. Jay's my friend. Jay, you're my friend, and I love you. but I'm going to love you to the place I'm comfortable based on my experiences in life. This maturity that costs us the self-life means I've got to step in just a little bit closer than where I'm comfortable. Is this making sense? I don't know. I don't get this. This is moving me right now. I don't get this completely. I just know that if the creator of the universe can move himself to such a place of vulnerability for me, and that's the model. Then that's what I gotta live. If I'm really gonna show that kind of vulnerability and love and live out of that, then I've gotta come to that place of vulnerability. Let me put it this way. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. There's six of us. And I can tell you this. We don't get things right. We don't get things perfect all the time. But if you really wanna be vulnerable and you really wanna talk about life you really want to get close, if you really want to love, if you really want to be in connection, that place is going to be found by coming right, just stepped over the line of where you feel comfortable. And I'm saying all that to say because I know we as pastors, I can tell you this, I don't care what you come and tell me, number one, it's probably not going to surprise me. I've been around this thing for a while. It's not going to surprise me, but I guarantee you this, it's not going to change my perception of you promise you that. And I know that's true for the rest of them. I hope you're hearing me this morning. I want us to come back to that supreme calling, the supreme command of love one another. It says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's a challenge in that. Because the reality is I can only love my neighbor to the degree that I love myself. I want us to love. I think we are a church that loves. I hear that a lot. But I think we can do better. And I'm not challenging you to perform. I'm challenging you to surrender. I'm challenging you to vulnerability. I'm challenging us to stop for a moment and arrest the thoughts that run through our mind. Those memes that I was showing you up there, those kinds of things that may not be exact of what we think, but there's still thoughts in our mind that we want, we think something about God that keeps us at a little bit of a distance from him. 
And we do the same thing with people. It keeps us at a little bit of a different distance from people. Our command is to love. Our calling is to grow in love. Hello? That we may all grow up in him, Ephesians 4 says, that we may all grow up into him who is the head. Who is he? God is love. This is the most telltale sign that you're walking in love. Did I say that correctly? Do I have anybody with me in the room? The most telltale sign you're walking in love. People around you are free and they're not scared. First John 4, 7 and 8 says this. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God. What? <laughs> Everyone who loves is fathered by God. I'm going to say that again. Everyone who loves is fathered by God. In other words, if I love, then I know I have a father. I know I'm not an orphan. I know that I'm not on my own, and I know that I'm part of a family. And experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God. Now, I know this about myself. There are places where I don't love well, but I know that it's not about me trying to get better at loving well. It's about knowing God more. Because when I know God more, then I'll be able to love. Is this helpful this morning? Yeah. What, I, I, it's, I really want to demystify this performance mentality that says we've got to do something in order to get better. It's not that at all. As a matter of fact, that's the opposite of it. It's not about doing anything at all. It's a, ma- it's a matter of arresting the thoughts, arresting the things that we've seen patterned cyclically in our life where we say, I know that I can't encounter love this way, and stopping that thinking that I need to do something in order to get to it and coming back to God. I need to know what Father looks like. I need to know what love looks like. I need to experience that from you because it's talking about that right there. Everyone who loves is fathered by love and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. I really do believe ultimately at the end of the day, people who love can do the most amazing things. I've experienced it coming from people. Forgive, connect, rejoice, celebrate, encourage. All these things that we need to move on into greater love. It's time for the church to come to a place where we learn to love without borders and without restrictions. Without borders, without restrictions. And what that really looks like, and might I say this for a moment, we live in a culture where we're told continually, don't judge, right? You're judging me, how dare you? You're judging me, you're ju- I hear that, but the word, which is really weird because I understand that Matthew 7, don't judge, but also Paul tells us to judge. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you can't judge. I'm not talking about you can't put your finger on your friend's life and say, hey, bro, that right there is just missing the mark a little bit. You know that's what sin means, right? That's what the word means. Hermosh, it means to miss the mark. Bro, you're missing the mark. I'm not saying we're going we're gonna to live in a culture where it's, you can't point out where things are off a little bit. I'm talking about letting love be the supreme guiding factor in all of it where it's not about me trying to subject somebody to my idea of rules and regulations and performance. It's about coming from a place of what God is thinking and saying, oh, let's come higher. Let's come higher. We can do better. Come on, has this helped this morning? So I felt like it would be good for us to do a couple of declarations. 
because we like declarations around here. So we're going to put these up there, and I'm going to go through them. They're going to come up all at once in just a moment here. They're going to come up all at once, but I want us to think about these things, not just run through them. I want us to do them line by line and really take it to heart. And I'm with you. I'm joining with you on this. This is a declaration for me, too. I will be, in 2018, a person that loves better. Amen? Amen? Everybody stand up with me. All right, go ahead. Throw them up there, Michael. Declaration. First one. All together. I know the spirit of power and love are at work in me. Now pause right there. 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, right? I know the spirit of power and love are at work in me. Let's say it again. I know the spirit of power and love are at work in me. Next one. I can love at all times through Christ who strengthens me. I am courageous with my love. Okay, that's a good one right there. That's a good one. Just think about that. Meditate on that for a minute. Because real love is courageous. It's the bravest thing you'll ever do in life. Let's do it again. Number two. I can love at all times through Christ who strengthens me. I am courageous with my love. Next one. I am powerful to control myself no matter what others choose to believe or do. Ooh. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, did that just come out of my mouth? <laughs> These things mean things, guys. They mean things. It's not just words up there. Look at it again. I'm powerful to control myself no matter what others choose to believe or do. Did you know that actually is a fruit of the Spirit? Let's do it again together. I am powerful to control myself no matter what others choose to believe or do. God, God, I choose that. I say that. I want that. Oh, I've got to keep reminding myself of that. Holy Spirit, help me. Last one. I keep my love on and chase fear out of my most vital relationships. I don't know about you guys. This is difficult feels good to do it together, though. I need a little encouragement. As a matter of fact, I set you guys up. This is actually totally for me, and I just needed you to back me up. Let's do that last one again. I keep my love on and chase fear out of my most vital relationships. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Jesus. All right, hold your hands out here. All right, Holy Spirit. Yeah, some of you, we'll leave those things up there. You might want to take a picture. Go ahead and put those back up, Michael. Just leave them on till even when we're done here because we may, you may want to come take pictures of that. I could. We can put that out in an email. Now everybody's going to get on the email list. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that our lives in you are based on your performance and not our own. Lord Jesus, we recognize our command is to love. Our calling is to grow in love. Nobody gets it perfect. Nobody's going to get it right. But Lord, we want to be that. I want to be a people that know how to love and love well. That love be the supreme value. Mm, thank you, Jesus.
Mm, yeah, if you're not already doing it, just hold your hands out like this. I like to do this. It's just a position and a posture that says I, I want whatever Holy Spirit is giving out. I want it. I want to receive it. I want to take it in. So Lord, just see right now the posture where we are in our hearts. Knowing, Lord, we're only shifted by our encounters with you. We're only transformed in encounters with you. And I want to be transformed to be a better loving person. So, Lord, I need an encounter with you. I need the encounter with you. Those who have experienced the Father's love, Lord, just show us yet again what your love looks like. And in that, it transforms us. Anybody want to go with me this year in this? We say amen to it, God. We say amen to what you're bringing to us. Amen? Amen. All right. Prayer teams, go ahead and make your way up here. If you guys need prayer for anything, if you want somebody just to put hands on you, pray for you for healing, this is what we're here for. You can walk out of here healed. I promise you that. So prayer teams, go ahead and make your way up here. And I just want to bless you and pray and declare that 2018 is going to be the best year you've ever experienced. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you all. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.